0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages, driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Well, this this last these last few weeks, we've been going uh, through the book of James in this series that we've entitled "Authentic," and uh, James is one of those books that truly reads your mail. If you've read it, then you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of that that uh, challenging words that come from him. And really and truly, I was telling Ryan when I uh, was preparing this message, I said, man, we've got to come back to this book clearly we do because we could spend 12 weeks easily on this book. And so uh, there's a lot that I'm not even going to be able to hit today in in chapter five, but I just want to encourage you uh, that if you feel like James is reading your mail, we all do. So take comfort in that today. Um, James has filled his book with one practical command after another. And we've heard a lot of these in the last few weeks, but I just want to go over a couple just to kind of bring them back to memory. Um, he's talked about things like don't complain, don't slander, don't show favoritism, don't be arrogant, don't overlook the needs of the less fortunate, don't love the world, don't stretch the truth, and on and on, and we could keep naming them after one another. And if you're like me, when I come to church on a Sunday and I hear a sermon on any of these topics, I I leave going, man, I've got work to do. Anybody else? <laughs> like, Oh, man, I've I got some work that needs to be done in my heart. And many of us can relate with that. And we walk away with such great intentions on a Sunday morning. We walk away saying, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to do that. I, you know what, Lord? I hear you. I'm going to do that. And then Monday rolls around. Anybody know about Mondays? Who Mondays. And the very things that we intended to conquer, we begin to stumble in. Take comfort today in knowing that you're amongst family and friends that feel the same way. Paul knows about this all too well, and I want you to open your Bibles. We are going to obviously go to to James, but I want you to start in Romans 7. Romans 7 today, open your Bible. Ryan, and I have really been... uh, wanting to encourage everyone, bring your Bible. We want you to read and and know that we are reading the same thing from your Bible so that you know it is true, it is authentic. But Romans 7, we're gonna go to verse 14 to start today where Paul talks about this battle for obedience to the Lord against our own fleshly nature. This is what it says in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out for i do not know for i do not do the good i want to do but the evil i do not want to do this i keep on doing now if i do what i do not want to do it is no longer i who do it but it is the sin living in me that does it paul here is not a man that isn't concerned about obedience in fact This is a man who wants to obey God more than anything else. But the problem is that he's come face to face with his weakness. Despite his efforts, he has failed time and time again. And he has recognized his sinful nature and he's calling it out. This battle. I think not a person in this room cannot identify. I know me personally, I can identify with Paul and what he's saying. It is the desire to do and be what God wants us to be, but the failure to achieve it. And really and truly, that's where the book of James would leave us if it were not for these last verses. The last verses, 13 through 20, that we're going to talk through, that's kind of where it would leave it. All these commands, all these commands, and then kind of like, is it attainable? It's kind of where it would leave us. Because the reality is that obedience is not something that is done in human strength. Hear me today. Obedience is not something that is done in human strength. You and I cannot be who God wants us to be on our own. It requires nothing short than the work of God in our lives. And that's why I love that, yes, we have Romans 7, but boy, aren't you glad for Romans 8? I encourage you, if you haven't read it, go read it. Because Paul then backs this thought of of this fleshly battle that we battle. He follows it up with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can achieve in us God's desires. We cannot do it on our own. Sometimes we can become far too cocky in our own ability. We cannot do it on our own. So if any of us are to become what God wants to be, what James has been pushing us to be with every gut-punching word, then we have to realize God has to do it. And this is not about reaching perfection. Listen to me. This is coming from a recovering perfectionist, okay? This is not about reaching perfection because that's not possible. But what I am saying is that God wants us to mature in our walk with him. And when James uses the word perfect in his book, forever, forever, I I looked at that and I read perfect and I thought, oh my word, I got to be perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm telling you, you have to mature in your relationship with the Lord. So with all of that, let's turn to James 5. We are going to be today in verses 13 through 20. And we're going to end this out. Really, the goal of today is to just put a bow on this thing, just to understand everything James is saying wrapped up into what we're going to talk about today. Let's read verse 13 through 20 real quick. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Let's pray real quick and invite the Holy Spirit here. Lord, anoint my words to speak, Lord. God, I thank you that that your word is full of your love. God, your hand is on every single word. God, I pray that you would open the doors of our heart today to receive. God, that you would soften even the hardest heart, Lord God, to realize, Lord, that you want to do something new in every one of us today. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we're going to kind of break up this portion of scripture into different, into just verses together to create the points for today. So the first verse is, anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. The first point in your notes today is this, prayer is a response to life. Prayer is a response to life. If there's anything that I think we can agree on in this room, it's that life is made up of seasons, all different seasons. And unfortunately, it's not like we can go through a season in our life and kind of check it off the list of our life and say, well, I never have to do that again, right? We have seasons of joy. We have seasons of sorrow. We have seasons of loss, laughter, sickness, and uncertainty. And if you've ever had a newborn in your house, you have a season of sleep deprivation. Crazy things happen at that time. I burped Ryan. I'm not going to lie. It's a true story. We can talk about it later. I'm not ashamed. It happened. But our life is made up of seasons. Some seasons we welcome with joy. Man, we're just loving it. It's so good. We're walking in joy. And then some seasons we walk through and we are literally asking for every moment that it would pass quicker, right? Our life is made up of seasons. And it's not like the seasons of the year because the world gets us ready for the next and the next. I mean, Hobby Lobby is the best at this. Let me tell you, they get you ready for Christmas way in advance. July, they pull out the holiday cheer. And don't lie, some of you in here are like me. I don't buy anything, but I do my normal summer stroll where I walk through to get the warm and and fuzzy feelings, you know, with my hot drink, because they usually keep it pretty cold in there, so it's like, perfect. But they get us ready. Or pumpkin spice season that is upon us. It's here, right? We knew about that way in advance. Nobody was surprised by that. They get us excited about it because they prepare us. We can prepare for fall and winter and spring and summer. But when it comes to the seasons of life, especially the difficult ones, wouldn't you agree that they usually come unexpectedly? We're not ready for them. They come unexpectedly. You see, James in these first few verses is talking about these seasons of life. He talks about suffering and happiness and sickness, which we'll get to in a moment. And he quickly reminds us where our foundation should be and what our response should be when these seasons come. Because the truth is, it's not a matter if they come, but when. Let me be an encouragement to you today. It's not a matter of if, but when. He says here that the suffering should pray, the happy should sing praises, It's a great quote by Pastor David Guzik. If you've never read his commentaries, I highly recommend it. I love listening to what he says. But this is what he has to say about verse 13. He says, James has the same advice for both the suffering one and the cheerful one. Take it all to the Lord. In fact, the two commands could be reversed. Sufferers should sing also and the cheerful should also pray. You see, prayer and praise are these interchangeable things. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been in a time of prayer and then you automatically and effortlessly just kind of go into a moment of singing to the Lord? Or maybe you've been in a worship setting like this or some of you sing in your car. I hope I see you on the road. I really do. But you've been singing in your car and then you just easily go into a time of prayer You see, these things are a beautiful partnership that God wants to use and have us use as weapons in every season of our lives. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What a gift that we can place our anxiety, our fears, our worry on the Father in prayer when we are suffering, when we are joyful, when we are dealing with physical sickness or spiritual sickness through every season of life. It can be easy to accept prayer and praise, maybe when things are going well. But I don't know about you, when I'm going through a difficult time, sometimes it can be really hard to pray. Anybody been there? It's hard to go there. But James is telling us we have to remember the very relationship that's going to take us through. We cannot neglect the very foundation, the most important relationship when life gets tough. It's as if James is wanting to yell at you don't forget your lifeline. Don't forget the very thing that's going to give you life when you feel like you have none. That's why James starts this portion of scripture with, are you suffering? You got to pray. He doesn't want us to neglect the very foundation. Because the reality is, we will go through suffering. Suffering's a guarantee. I mean, we see Jesus even talk about this in John 16, when he says this. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus is, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus is saying, listen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised. We Remember what James even said in the first chapter of his book he says in verse two through three consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance so what is james saying here he's saying not only is suffering a guarantee it's actually necessary that's hard to swallow suffering necessary it makes me think of the life of joseph anybody read the life of joseph Yes? Okay. So we know that he was a dreamer. He's a little cocky. We have to agree. He's a little cocky. But he was a a great dreamer that had these amazing God-given dreams. And his brothers sold him into slavery. And there's a series of events that happen where it just seems like he just keeps being dealt a really bad hand. And we come to the end of, of his life where we, we, we find him and he's, he's seeing his brothers once again, really for the first time since they had sold him into slavery. And he's now the second in command in Egypt. And this is what he tells his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It's amazing. How, how did a man like Joseph who was neglected by his family, sold into slavery, he was accused falsely sent to prison. How does a man like that get to the end and say, God meant it for, uh, God was with me, he meant it for good. Why? How did he do that? He never neglected the foundation. He didn't neglect the relationship. Now, do I think that he was always happy and, oh, this is great, prison is awesome. No, He's, he, he was human just like you and I. So I believe there's probably times where he was very frustrated and he questioned God. But at the end of it all, he fought to keep his relationship with God because he knew that's where his dependency, that's where his hope had to be. So you say, Lauren, if, I, if I'm going through a difficult time and I pray, is God automatically going to bring me out of that? You know what? Not always. There's some answers that I wish I had on this side of heaven that they're just not going to come. But what I can guarantee is that he will give you the peace that you need to make it through the storm. He will give you the peace that you need to make it through the storm. You and I are eternal beings created by an eternal God who does not leave us without hope. I love the end of John 16, We see that Jesus says, you know what, you're going to have trouble. But look what he says, but take heart. He's saying, but don't lose hope because I have overcome the world. Man, aren't you glad today that we have eternal hope in Jesus? That one day at the end of it all, we're going to be in his glory. No more sickness, no more tears, no more mourning. Joy in his goodness, in his glory is going to be what we walk in. Let me encourage you today. You are not without hope. You are not without hope. And the way that we hold on to that hope and the way we walk in that hope and in that peace is through strong relationship with the Father. And through this strong relationship of prayer and praise, God will embolden and empower you in obedience that your will simply will not bring about. He will give you what you need to be able to walk in his obedience. And James is reminding that to us today. That relationship with God is what makes all of this possible. But if you're like me, how many times have, have you just tried to kind of do it on your own? Anybody? I remember a, a, a guy and this is so funny, a guy in my dad's church when I was in high school. He came up to me one day and he said, Lauren, I don't know who's going to want to marry you because you're way too independent. And I was like, I don't know how to take that right now. That is crazy. But we we try to do things on our own. And it made me think of recently, Ryan and I and our boys were in Orlando, it was in August, for this big gathering that happens every two years. All the pastors in our, our fellowship across the country all come together for this week and a half. And, and yes, there's meetings and there's business to attend to, um, but it's just a time of refreshing where we as pastors get to come hear amazing sermons by these pastors and worship. It's just a great time. And uh, one of the days Ryan was caught up in all these meetings. And so the boys and I, we love to go to the exhibit halls because the exhibit halls have all the free stuff. And so we get our bags and we go in and free things have, it's just awesome. The kids and I love it. And we came across this one booth and they had a foosball table and the boys are like, mom, can we please go play foosball? I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's go do it. So we walk over there, and there's a table just right next to the foosball table. So I thought, I'm going to be the cool mom. I'm not going to interfere. So I just like sit there with my coffee. And we walk over, and there's two junior high kids, probably like sixth or seventh grade, that are already playing. So my nine- and seven-year-olds say, hey, could we play? And the kids are like, yeah, sure. Which I'm thinking, you want to play them, because you know you're going to beat them, right? And so uh, I watch this all unfold. And they start to play, and sure enough, one goal after another goal my kids are getting demolished and you got to know something about my kids their personalities are complete opposites so my oldest the nine-year-old stratton he kind of makes eye contact with me and he is mad i mean competitive frustration is just all over him and then my other my seven-year-old boston he doesn't look at me but you can see him like oh man you know, like he's so timid. He's like so quiet. And so I'm watching this. I see Stratton give me the eye contact. So I feel like I've got the go ahead to kind of step in. So I walk over to him. I say, hey, bud, could I, could I join in and play? Because if we're talking about sixth and seventh graders, I feel like I have a pretty good chance. So <laughs> I, I stand next And I just take one, just one of them. And I am, I am the forward. I am the last bit of offense that is going to just drive it right into the goal. And sure enough, we start playing and one goal after another goal, and we become the comeback kids and we win, okay? We win. The best part about it is my timid little seven year old, as we win, because they're keeping score, he pumps his fist in the air and he goes, That's my mom! Can I just tell you, full disclosure, best moment of motherhood in my life? The best. I I literally just relished in that for the longest time. I was like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? I should have recorded that. That's my mom. But I left that day. A couple days later, I was reflecting on that story. And it made me think of it this way. How many times in the battlefield of life, like that foosball table, are we there and we're trying and we are losing time and time and time again? And we feel the enemy coming against us, and God is sitting right there at the table. Call me into the game. Call me into the game. Call me into your life. And then, when we do, when we when we have that relationship, and we're in prayer and communion with Him, and He comes alongside, and we begin to see victory after victory, and then it arises in us and overflows in our heart, and we begin pe- telling people in our lives, "That's my God. That's my God." You've got to call him into the battlefield of life because he has given you the tools and the weapons to overcome. Charles Spurgeon says this, prayers are the believers' weapons of war. When the battle is too hard for us, we call in our great ally who, as it were, lies in ambush until faith gives the signal by crying out, Arise, O Lord. Although our cause be all but lost, it shall soon be won again if the Almighty doth bestir himself. That means if God gets going. James tells us we got to pray. We got to pray when times get difficult. But he also says, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Hear me when I say this. Sometimes we can forget to thank the Lord when times are going well. Our praise to the Father should not go silent in any season. And James is reminding us to lift our voices in praise to the Lord. Let the thankfulness and gratitude flow from your heart. Let it be evident to those around you. Let your praise increase. Let it increase. Like the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we always, always pray, 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 but walking in this attitude and prayer and thankfulness to the Lord, that it's just an overflow that it's evident to those around us because God's plan for prayer is to be a weapon for you every day so that you know you do not face life alone. Prayer is a response to life. Second point in your notes today. Prayer is a request for freedom. Let's look at verses 14 through 16 in James 5. Now, verse 14 says, is anyone among you sick? I think it's, it's really important for us to understand what James means when he uses the word sick. The word is actually the Greek word komno, and it translates to fatigued, weary, or ill. So yes, he is talking about physical sickness, but he's also talking about sickness of the heart. Sickness of the heart. James' response to the sick is that we should call for the elders of the church and let them pray over the one who is sick. If we are dealing with physical sickness or spiritual sickness, the sickness of the heart, our response should always be yes to pray, but also to seek others that are strong in the faith to come alongside Seek others that you know their relationship with the Lord is strong and that you can trust them. Because if we call ourselves the body of Christ, and that's what we are as the church, capital C, we are the body of Christ, we have to be willing to do life together. We need to be able to go to one another and say, I need you to believe with me that I can be healed. I need you to believe with me that I can face this weakness and this spiritual sickness of my heart. I need you to come alongside me and believe for freedom. Here's the problem. We tend to throw up half-empty prayers that are truly are not full of faith. Look, we can see very clearly in verse 15, James says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So how do we do that? How, how do we come with, with prayers that are full of faith? I love what Jesus says in Matthew eighteen two through four. He says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, as a kid, I can remember thinking my dad could do anything. I mean, when you're this small <laughs> and your dad, you know, he's just huge, seems huge. And the thing that my dad and I like to do together is that we like to throw the football together. Believe it or not, I was a tomboy as a little kid. Promise. Begged my dad to let me play Pee Wee football. He gave a strong no. But I love throwing the football with my dad. And him having four girls, one of us needed to know how to throw a football. So we would go out in our backyard. And where we lived in Pennsylvania, none of the yards had fences. So really, it was just this massive area of yard. And it was great. Neighbor kids come out. I mean, we were out there together all the time. But my dad would tell me, run far. Run, run as far as you can. And it felt like to me that I ran a mile And he would launch the ball straight to where I was. And I remember thinking, wow, my dad's got a cannon for an arm. My dad can do anything. Man, NFL, sign him up. That's what I thought. Or watching him lift things at the house and, you know, me being like four feet, whatever that is. I just thought, man, he can do anything. My dad can do anything. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is saying to us, You got to come to me like that. You got to come to me with that childlike faith. Church, we have to have faith to believe that He can do anything because guess what? He can. He can. He's the Almighty God. The truth is, we will never have all the answers. Man, some of the hard questions that come at Ryan and us about when people are going through difficult times, I, I wish I had an answer. But we don't have all the answers. We want this side of heaven. But we have to believe that God is able. Our prayers cannot come up half empty. Our prayers cannot come up lacking faith. We must approach him like a child approaches their father and say, God, I believe you can do anything. I believe you can do anything. There's a great quote, again, by Pastor David Guzik, and I love this. It says, often we do not pray the prayer of faith out of concern for God's reputation if there should be no healing. We should remember that God is big enough to handle his own reputation. Come on, pray prayers of faith. pray, Pray prayers that are full of so much faith that you just, it's evident in you that you believe that God is able. When you go to your brother or sister and they need you to pray, pray prayers that are big, not lacking faith. Believe God for freedom from sickness of the body and weariness of the soul. Believe that he can. The last part of the verse in, in James, it says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I want to bring real clarity to this because I want you to understand sin doesn't always cause physical sickness. Hear me. Yes, our choices, our sinful choices can cause sickness, but the baby that that was born and is battling cancer, that was not because of their sin. Understand, we live in a fallen world, but what I think James is saying here is that spiritual weakness of our heart can make us fall into sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we can easily become weak when, our, when we become sick in the heart. And so he's saying here, not only can you come and receive freedom, but your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. With that in mind, let's look at the next verse, 17. Let's read it together. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Here's what I know about sin. It wants nothing more than for us to isolate ourselves and keep living in the dark. But confession breaks the power of sin. Hear me today. Somebody needs to hear that. Confession breaks the power of sin. And the scripture here is saying one to another. So, so yes, we need to bring our sin towards the Lord and we need to ask for forgiveness, but it's also important for accountability and someone to come along you, to go to a brother or a sister that you can trust. Again, that's strong in the faith and say, listen, I need to confess this and I need you to stand with me and believing that I can drag this thing into the light and God can give me freedom. Or maybe there's secret sin. Just an example, like in a marriage, that you need to go to your spouse and you need to bring the darkness into the light and allow the Lord to begin to restore. He's in the restoring business. You are not too far gone. Confess. Sin must be brought into the light for both physical and spiritual healing because sin is draining and it is a thief of your life. When we look at David, King David in the Bible, man, what a guy. The Bible says he was a man after his own heart. And yet when we look at his story, if you've read it, you know that he committed some very serious sin. Just kind of a, an overlook of it. it he saw a, a woman that was not his wife, lusted after her, brought her into his home. Another man's wife, he then has a child with her. He kills her husband to try to cover up sin. This is just a web that he wove that was full of secret sin. And we read in Psalm 32 as David tells us the effects that it had on him. This is what he says. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And that's some serious words. Sin is draining. There was a study done by a neuroscientist named Dr. David Eagleman. And this isn't a Christian guy, it's a secular guy. And I I love, and I've heard a pastor say it this way before, and I completely agree. I love when science catches up with the Bible. Don't you love when that happens? You're like, oh, well, yeah, that is true. The Bible says it, so... (laughs) You know, that's great. But this neuroscientist, he does studies on the brain. And he did a study on what we would call holding on to sin, secret sin, right? And the effects that it has on our bodies. Here's what he had to say. And I'm going to have the quote up there for you. You have competing populations in the brain. One part that wants to tell something and one that doesn't. There is a real physiological battle going on in the brain. So keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behavior that is seen or understood to be wrong, means continual struggle with yourself. The internal dissonance and lack of a sense of personal integrity is draining. The struggle involved in keeping a secret is stressful. This means that your brain will register the fact that there are increased levels of stress going through your bloodstream as a result of this struggle. Your brain does not enjoy the stress. Those living duplicitous lives live with the stress of keeping a whole section of their life secret from the people they see every day and care about. The fact that their brains are marinated in stress hormones due to keeping secrets over and above the effects of the wrong behavior can cause an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and function well. Wow. If you've ever had secret sin in your life, you can say yes to that. It is something that keeps you awake at night. It is something that steals your joy. It gives you anxiety. And science is proving exactly what David says. My strength was dried up. I didn't have anything left. That's why confession, when it comes, when you confess your sin, it has to have honesty and integrity. Because if we confess with no real intention of battling the sin, our confession isn't thorough and it mocks God. Hear me. It's not thorough. It mocks God. There's a a great story. And when I read this, I just laughed out loud. I hope you think it's funny because maybe it's just me. There's a great story about an Irishman who uh, was going to his priest to confess that he had stolen two bags of potatoes. And uh, the priest had heard the gossip around town. It was a small town, so he had heard the gossip. And he said to the man, Mike, I I heard that it was only one bag of potatoes that you had stolen from the market. And the Irishman replied, that's true, Father, but it was so easy that I plan on taking another one tomorrow night. (laughs) I love that. We got to avoid phony confession. There's no room for phony confession. Confession that, that isn't true, uh, full of true brokenness? Because the reality is, if it isn't deeply real, it isn't any good. If it isn't deeply real, it isn't any good. So the scripture is telling us we've got to go to one another. And maybe that's tough for some of you. I know that's tough for me. But it's important. It's important for freedom. It's important for us to walk in the freedom that God wants us to walk in. And if a brother or sister comes to you, you need to keep Romans 7 in mind. What Paul said that we battle, every one of us battle, this battle of the flesh Hear me when I say the only way to kill darkness is to drag it into the light. And dragging takes effort, right? But it's worth the struggle to drag it into the light. There's a famous quote by the great apologist Ravi Zacharias, and he says this, sin will always take you farther than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Prayer is that request for freedom. And we have to believe with one another that freedom is possible. And I absolutely love that James in verse 17 uses the illustration of Elijah. Man, when I read this, it was just like, just amazing. He says this in verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Now, Elijah was a mighty man of God, a prophet of God. And the scripture here, James is wanting to tell us, hey, listen, I know there's all this stuff that I'm telling you that you need to do. And I'm talking about relationship with the Lord. Remember, even Elijah was a human like you. That should bring some comfort to our hearts because if you know anything about Elijah, this is what he was. He was a prophet. He heard directly from God. He walked in obedience to the Lord. He saw God's provision. I mean, literally ravens came and gave him food when there was no food. What? It's incredible. He confronted evil. He was brave. He expected the miracles. The man called fire down from heaven and it did. I'm like, drop the mic. I'm done. That's amazing. Fire from heaven, it's a mighty man. But what we also read about in scripture is that he also ran in fear and he battled some very serious discouragement, even up to the point of asking God to take his life. And James is saying, listen, you can easily look at people in the Bible and think they had some supernatural ability, but the truth is they were human just like you. And look at the power of the prayers that he prayed. That should be an encouragement to you today. Elijah walked in obedience to the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord. And he was a man just like you and I. Samuel Chadwick says this quote, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. You say, Lauren, prayer is hard. Yep, it is. But I love the quote that the Puritans are are, uh, noted for saying, and they say, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Pray because he trembles when we pray. And some of you today need to pray those faith-filled prayers of prayer, of, for freedom. Freedom from sickness, maybe in a physical sense, and we as the body of Christ wanna join with you in that. Maybe some of you need to drag darkness into the light and draw a line in the sand that says, today is the day. Today is the day. No longer will I walk in this secret sin because prayer is powerful. And it's that request for freedom. Third in your notes today. And lastly, prayer is a responsibility to the lost. Let's read verses 19 and 20 in James 5. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, obviously, I I think that more than just prayer is being implied here, but scripture also speaks about confronting a brother, a sinning brother. But however, in, in light of the context of what James has been talking about, I think it's understood that we've got to pray for the lost. It's our responsibility we must continually over and over pray because you and I could probably sit down and say, well, I have a friend or I have a family member, someone close to me, someone that you deeply love and say they've wandered from the Lord or they've never made the decision to come to the Lord. And we have to make a decision that, and, and, and have this conviction that it's our responsibility to pray for them. Yes, we must witness, but we have to pray. We have to pray. We have to keep coming back time and time again, calling that friend or family member by name and asking God to bring them back. Because the reality is we can't save people. We can't save people. Only God can. Only God can. But it is our responsibility to ask the Lord to give us the opportunity to share his love and to be an extension of his hand. quote Charles Spurgeon a lot. Bear with me. I like him. Charles Spurgeon said this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. When I read that, my heart just was quickened and my heart was convicted Spurgeon said it really well that we have to fight for people until the end. I, I love the imagery that he uses of our arms being around their knees. It's just this desire and this, this uh, declaration of, I will not let them go unwarned or unprayed for. We can easily get to a place, and believe me, I've been here many times where we can kind of feel like all hope is lost. You ever been there for someone that you've been praying for? Maybe you've prayed time and time again, and there's just this cycle over and over. Let me tell you keep praying. You're going to say that's hard, Lauren. Yes, it is. Keep praying. I don't know how many times I've heard of a mother or a father or a grandmother that they had prayed for years and years and years for the child or the grandfather or the grandchild to come back. And when it happened, do you think for a second they thought any moment of prayer was in vain? We got to keep praying. We have to go into prayer, like I said earlier, and have this faith-filled desire and, and, and belief that God is going to bring them back. I've heard it said before that when you go into prayer to the Lord, this real authentic prayer, you go in as a kitten and you leave as a lion. Have you ever felt that before? Like you go into prayer and you're feeling kind of just weighted down and then you come out and you're like, okay, let's conquer this. You know what I'm talking about? It's true. You go in, you go in like a kid and You come out as a lion, and that is what God wants us to do. He wants us to come back time and time again because prayer emboldens and empowers us. Which means it gives us the courage to then, out of prayer, go to that family member or friend and in love and care to share the love of Jesus with them. It gives us the courage. We got to keep praying because the Lord will give you the strength and the courage to be his mouthpiece. He will do it because his promises are yes and amen. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. I know we've covered a lot today. There's so much. I mean, really, I just feel like we're barely touching the surface here, but I hope that this is really a minister to your heart today. James is telling us it all hinges on relationship the ability to do anything that he's talked about cannot be reached without relationship. Because spiritual victories are not won by physical means. Spiritual victories are not won by physical means. We've got to pray, church. We've got to pray. There's a spiritual battle going on to steal your joy and your peace when the storms of life come. There's a spiritual battle going on for you to neglect your relationship with the Lord when life is going well. You gotta pray. You gotta pray. There's a spiritual battle going on to keep you bound and make you think you will not defeat the sin that you're walking in. And the truth is you can't defeat it on your own. Only God can. Only he can break the power of sin. You've gotta pray. Pray. Maybe today there's a spiritual battle going on in your body and there's a physical sickness that's happening and the enemy would love nothing more but to tell you that there's no hope for you. There's no hope for you. I'm telling you today we serve a God that wants to say, hope is yours today. Hope is yours today. You're not alone in this. And the peace of God that passes the understanding of your heart and mind can begin to flood your home, can be fl- begin to flood your everyday life, but you've got to pray. You've got to have relationship with Him. And there's a spiritual battle going on for the souls of our friends and family. And my prayer for you today is that your heart would just begin to break for those that you know do not know Christ. Because if you've ever lived without him, you know that you can't be without him. If you've ever lived your life at any point, and I have, where you you denied the Lord or neglected the Lord in your life, you know the difference. He is the difference. And our friends and our family members need to know that. Pray, pray. Because James is wanting us to know at the end of all of this amazing book, every command he's talked about, every gut-punching word that's challenged us, we can't do it on our own. I don't care how awesome you are, and I think every one of you are the most amazing people. Ryan and I talk to everybody about you. Everyone would come in contact. Every pastor, we're like, oh, Grace Hill, man. People at Grace Hill. Just love grace. You're amazing. But can I tell you, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You need the Lord. Relationship. You're like, Lauren, you've said relationship 50 times. Well, then get it. Relationship. Make the decision today that the relationship with the Lord is going to look different. It's going to be stronger. It's going to go deeper. Call him into the game of life. Just like my kids wanted me to come in that foosball game. I mean, I think they wanted me there. I mean, I kind of, what, you know. I'm just going to think they did. But call him into the game of life and see what happens. Am I saying that life's just going to be all butterflies and joy and all that? No, but you're going to have the peace of God. Your morning's going to turn to joy. And people are going to say, how's that possible? And you can say, look what my God is doing. Look what my God is doing, despite what the world may say, despite what I'm walking through that seems so horrible and awful, I'm able to walk in peace. Doesn't make sense, but he can do it. He does it over and over again. It's like with that quote of Samuel Chadwick that I said earlier, listen closely, church. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing of prayerless studies. He fears nothing of prayerless work. He fears nothing of prayerless religion. He laughs at your difficulty. He laughs at your toil and mocks at your wisdom. But he trembles when you pray. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Get alone with the Father. I promise you there will be a difference. I promise you there will be a difference in your marriage. I promise there will be a difference in your workplace. I promise there will be a difference with your children. Pray. Pray. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God. And we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.